0: Welcome to The Local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. I'm Jefferson Smith from Portland, Oregon.
1: I'm Emily Gilliland from Portland, Oregon. It
0: is Wednesday, the day after Election Day, November 4th, 2020.
1: Today, back in the day in 1861, the University of Washington was founded in Seattle. That's before Washington was even a state. Glasses began with one room, one instructor, and 30 students. Back then, tuition was only $30 a year. The school opened closed, reopened, and reorganized many times in its first few years due to lack of funding. It had its first graduate in 1876, a science student named Clara McCarty. The University of Washington has gone on to become one of the leading research universities in the region. Today back in the day in 1922, Howard Carter discovered the tomb of Tutankhamun in Egypt. Back then, archaeologists were scrambling to learn more about ancient civilizations, but centuries of war and grave robbing often left historical sites contaminated. King Tut's tomb, however, had been untouched for over 3,000 years. The treasures of his tomb are a major source of knowledge about ancient Egypt. A global craze over King Tut erupted in the 1920s. His tomb quickly became one of Egypt's most popular tourist attractions. A second craze over King Tut came about in the 1970s when his artifacts toured outside of the Egyptian Museum in Cairo for the first time. Today, the artifacts are at the center of a debate surrounding colonialism, museums, and who owns what pieces of history. And today, back in the day in 1924, Nellie Taylor Ross and Miriam Ma Ferguson were the first women to be elected state governors. Nellie Ross was elected governor of Wyoming, while Ma Ferguson was elected governor of Texas. Ma Ferguson ran on a promise to reduce wasteful spending in Texas. She was a staunch opponent of the KKK and a strong supporter of FDR's New Deal, as Governor Nellie Taylor Ross provided tax relief for farmers and worked to make state bankers more accountable. Nellie Ross later went on to be vice chair of the DNC and the director of the U.S. Mint under FDR. In today's show, we're going to start with your Quick 6 News Headlines, and we have an update on the impact of 2016's Measure 99, Outdoor School for All, with Kim Silva and Dan Prince from Friends of Outdoor School. X-Ray.
0: First, it is time for today's Quick 6 Local Rundown, and that means election results.
1: In state races, Democrats won a number of contested elections last night. Shamia Fagan came out ahead of her opponent, Kim Thatcher, for Secretary of State. At the time of this recording, she is winning by a margin of 11 points.
0: And Peter DeFazio, who we just interviewed, looks to be keeping his seat in District 4 against Republican challenger Alex Garlatos, who raised a whole bunch of money.
1: And Suzanne Bonamici and Earl Blumenauer also kept their seats in Congress. Jeff
0: Merkley beat Joe Ray Perkins quite easily, and Attorney General Ellen Rosenblum maintained her seat against Republican Michael Cross, and Tobias Reed kept his position as state treasurer. And in the highest-profile city race... Mayor Ted Wheeler has been announced to have won re-election over Sarah Anarone. Ted Wheeler will be the first Portland mayor to win re-election since Vera Katz.
2: I want to thank the voters of Portland for the opportunity to continue serving as your mayor. This has not been an easy year for any of us, and I know that many of you are frustrated with the direction of our city as we address challenges of a pandemic, an economic recession, and protests that have inspired both overdue change and unacceptable violence. We have work to do.
0: As the time of recording, Ted Wheeler had a 20,000 vote lead over Sarah anaron The write-in votes, 41,577.
1: And for city council position four, Mingus Maps has unseated incumbent Chloe Udaly. Early results had maps up 12% over commissioner Udaly.
0: Mingus Maps become just the fourth black member of the Portland city council and Udaly will become the second incumbent to lose their seat in four years. Mapps thanked Udaly and called her a champion for renters and inclusion. Udaly struck a different tone in her concession remarks. Here's the quote. I really think Portland's in for a surprise in the coming months and years when they realize who they've elected. We were poised to have one of the most progressive city councils that Portland has ever had. And with the reelection of Mayor Wheeler and the election of Mingus Maps, it's a step backwards for progress, and it's a win for big business and the landlord lobby and police unions. And I really don't think it reflects Portland's progressive spirit. It's unfortunate that voters couldn't see clearly.
1: U.S. Attorney Adrian Brown won the Multnomah County Circuit judge seat with 57% of the vote over Rima Gandor. State and metro area voters also approved a vast majority of the ballot measures in this election. Two of those ballot measures made Oregon a trailblazer on drug policy. Measure 109 passed making Oregon the first state to legalize psychedelic mushrooms for therapeutic use. And Measure 110 passed decriminalizing drug possession, including hard drugs, and another first for the country. Despite poor polling, the Multnomah County Library expansion passed with 60% of the vote. Universal pre-K, the school bond, and the parks bond measure all passed with large margins.
0: And the biggest winner by the largest margin, voters chose to implement the new Independent Oversight Board for Portland Police. That measure, pushed by Commissioner Joanne Hardesty, passed 82% to 18%.
1: However, two metro ballot measures did fail to cross the finish line. The metro payroll tax, which aimed to fund a large number of transportation projects, was rejected by voters. With partial results, it is losing by an almost eight point margin. And the charter amendment on uses for water funds also failed to pass.
0: Some powerful interests opposed both of those for what it's worth.
1: Time for your daily dose of data. Yesterday, the Oregon Health Authority announced 495 new cases of COVID-19, bringing the state's total to 46,460. That report brings Oregon's cases back below 500 for the day, a number that we exceeded for five days straight. However, OHA sadly reported nine new deaths yesterday. As a result, Oregon has now recorded 701 deaths related to the coronavirus. Jackson County reported 70 new cases, the highest of yesterday's data. Multnomah, Clackamas, and Washington counties all reported around 60 cases each. Two people were arrested during protests leading up to election night. Following Governor Brown's state of emergency declaration on Monday, a unified command was put in charge of Portland policing. That command includes state police and Multnomah County sheriffs who are allowed to bypass Mayor Wheeler's recent ban on tear gas. On Monday night, two protesters were arrested during a march downtown. Demonstrators shattered several windows around Portland State University, including the window of the nearby Starbucks. That protest was met by police almost as soon as their march began. Fifteen minutes after protesters began marching, police declared an unlawful assembly. Last night, protesters gathered near Revolution Hall for a, quote, unity march. The event marked a return to the Portland protest routes, When huge gatherings met at Revolution Hall to march across the bridge to downtown. According to reports on Twitter, several hundred people attended the march, which began at 9 p.m. The Unified Command asked marchers to keep to the sidewalks given their lack of a permit. But at the time of this recording, which is about 10 p.m., no arrests or clashes have been reported. The Unified Command currently expires Wednesday evening, though Governor Brown may extend it. Nike has increased its layoff projections for their Beaverton headquarters, which may hit 700 by January. In July, Nike announced about 500 expected layoffs. Those lost jobs are, according to the company, part of a larger restructuring and are unrelated to loss of sales during the pandemic. While Nike's sales dipped earlier in the pandemic, their October sales showed significant recovery. Those planned layoffs have now increased by another 200. A portion of those stem from a child care center that Nike plans to permanently close. In a statement on Monday, the company said they are, quote, building a flatter, nimbler company. They also said their restructuring will lead to a net loss of jobs, which they described as, quote, always difficult. That restructuring, which is called Consumer Direct Acceleration, aims to sell more products directly to consumers. Currently, their headquarters in Beaverton employs roughly 13,000 people. On Monday, voters in Lane County reported intimidation by armed militia at a ballot box. The report emerged from six Oregon legal groups who alleged that an armed group was turning away voters at an unofficial checkpoint. The groups behind the report include the Oregon Justice Resource Center and the Western State Center. The report stemmed from calls made by two Lane County residents. According to the letter, some voters decided to turn around rather than drop off their ballots. The letter was addressed to Oregon Attorney General Ellen Rosenblum and Secretary of State Beth Clarno. In that letter, the legal groups pushed those offices to take the report seriously, saying, quote, "...these incidents are unlawful and call out for swift correction, corrective action." When asked about the reports, Oregon State Police Superintendent Terry Davey had no further information. And finally, good news. Oregon set a new record for total votes cast in an election. By Tuesday morning, Oregon voters had already set a new record. 73% of eligible ballots had already been returned by 9 a.m. with a total of 2.15 million votes cast. That beat 2016's record, setting turnout of 2.05 2.05 million votes. As of about 9 p.m. last night, the Secretary of State's office reported a turnout of about 78 percent, with a total of 2.3 million ballots received, shattering our previous record. While Noma County fell in a similar percentile, with almost 80 percent of the eligible voters casting their ballots. Good job, all.
0: And that is today's Quick 6 Local Rundown, X-Ray.
1: Up next, we have an update from a measure passed by Oregonians in 2016. On November 8, 2016, Oregon voters overwhelmingly approved Measure 99, Outdoor School for All, with 34 of Oregon's 36 counties passing the measure and 67% of Oregon's voter approving. Andy Lindbergh talks with Kim Silva and Dan Prince from Friends of Outdoor School about changes in the program due to COVID, And what's next for middle school students in Oregon to experience outdoor school again?
3: Uh, I'm here with uh, Kim Silva and Dan Prince from Friends of Outdoor School. And we're going to talk a little bit about... How this statewide program is adjusting to COVID nineteen and what the future might be, but first let's let's start off and and maybe Kim, you can uh, give us just the the elevator speech about what Friends of Outdoor School is.
4: Hi, Andy. Thank you. Um, Friends of Outdoor School. I like to say in short is the education foundation for outdoor school in the state of Oregon. So our our vision is that one day all Oregon students will attend a week of outdoor school. So we manage um, the community network, the program and places network, those are the programs and sites of outdoor school, and the advocacy for outdoor school in the state.
3: So this has been a, a heavy lift uh, by many people throughout the state over the last few years, which gives Uh, Every fifth or sixth grader, the opportunity to attend a residential environmental education program. Uh, And the exciting news is that this has been uh, garnered huge support from the people of Oregon. And before March 11, 2020, when we were all asked to stay in our homes, what was outdoor school like in Oregon
2: so I would say um, from a looking at at a bird's eye view of the state of Oregon and outdoor school um, what we were seeing was um, prior to uh, the passage of measure 99 um, a fewer than half of the students in Oregon were had access to outdoor school okay. um, and and that was a and most of the students who had access to outdoor school were going for a couple days, a few days, uh, and, um, and it was limited to schools that could afford it or families that could afford it. Um, the passage of Measure 99 changed all of that and, and created a fund that would support, as you mentioned, every fifth or sixth grader having an opportunity to access this. So on March 10th, uh, everybody was ramping up for probably the, br- the biggest spring in the history of, of Oregon for outdoor school by the time uh the the schools had applied for funding and were planning on going and in the 1920 school year we were expecting between 90 and 95 percent of the students in oregon to attend outdoor school wow um and so it so that uh the funding has delivered on uh, and and helped with a pent-up demand for for schools to provide this opportunity for their students that's kind of uh where we were we were poised in the spring across the state to launch a spring outdoor school session that was going to be just really historic.
3: And then March uh, arrives and we're all asked to change our lives in profound ways. How does, how does the outdoor school community uh, handle that, that change?
2: Great question. Lots of different ways. So, so just like at the very beginning, there were students at outdoor school when that the governor's executive order was issued and so there were a uh, there was a small number of well there were you know four or five hundred students that were at a variety of sites in march um and they came home and probably never went back to school um you know the the, uh, because in person (laughs) uh, because what everybody knows so um so at that point, you had all of these sites and, and programs that were, you know, they were like ready, they were getting their staff on board, they were, they were getting the, um, the materials organized, they were setting up the camps, they were, they were getting ready to go and then nobody came. And so um, what happened was they quickly pivoted in the same way and at the same moment that all of the teachers uh, and schools did, to try to create um, experiences for kids that they could participate in to connect with the outdoors and so you you saw um, a lot of different kinds of responses um, in the short term in that spring mm-hmm. uh, you had instructors creating um, little instagram videos um, looking at literally like the potted plant on their apartment um, doorstep I mean yeah you know, like the animal that was eating that potted plant. And, yeah. You know, we think about, like, we have to go away in order to study nature. You don't. I mean, nature's everywhere. It's all around us, and we're in it. And, and so um, a lot of the instructors were able to capitalize on that. You know, I saw a neat video of an instructor who was down um, kind of on the uh, Overlook Bluff looking over the Willamette River and, like, you know, waving her camera around, looking at the clouds that were coming in and the water that was flowing by in the river. And, uh, you know, and so... Um, it just completely changed the way that we thought about um, how we could at least uh, attempt to connect kids to nature, and and that pivot was not just happening in Oregon and outdoor school. It was happening in Oregon, but it was happening across this country and across the world because um, because you know everybody was was quarantining. So um, so over the course of the spring, that's it was a lot of of uh, of content creation. Um, and a lot of pushing stuff out to schools so that they were able to, um, you know, have resources to be able to, uh, get their kids, you know, some sort of
3: experience. There are many people who are involved in creating the residential experience for, for students. What, uh, Kim, can you talk a little bit about the, the various, uh, I don't know if sectors is the right word, but what I, I can imagine someone thinking, OK, well, they the teachers and the instructors are are not going to be able to do this. But what's what's this what's the impact throughout the state um, who who has been affected by this um, shutdown, if you will?
4: Well, number one, of course is the students Mm
3: -hmm. and
4: so no students in since the quarantine started to our knowledge has gone to outdoor school and um so far no students are going this fall either so thousands of students are missing out on this opportunity um and of course as you mentioned the teachers Um, when we talk about programs uh there are permanent staff. There are seasonal staff. Um, hundreds of the seasonal staff around the state um, were immediately either not hired or laid off, and then over a period of time, many of the permanent staff ended up laid laid off also. So um, from there, we're, we also have an effect for the site. So some programs do not have their own sites. So those those who do not have their own sites rent from sites and the sites, most of of them are campsites and those campsites lost all of the, not all of the income, but the vast majority of the income that they intended to to be able to have uh, the outdoor school. And they also lost a lot of their other income from rentals because Mm -hmm. they were not able to use their um, facilities. So it's a really, it's a, And in the long run, that also affects all the communities where those those camps are, because many of those camps use resources from their community for for getting food for for people at the site or for weddings might be a cake, Um, you know, the the local baker or the local caterer. Um, So uh, it could be. People who um, maintenance or do construction on the site, so um, it's had quite an impact on um, not just students but the the communities all around Outdoor School across the state.
3: Well, the the folks in the the X-ray listening area probably their. Outdoor school experience is through the Multnomah Education Service District or the Northwest uh, Regional uh, Education Service District, both of which use high school volunteers. So there's this whole other tier of students who, for whom their outdoor school experience probably, um, I mean, you know, speaking for personal experience, I... I went. I volunteered six times as a high schooler, but only went once as a sixth grader. So that the idea of missing out on on that experience to be a um, an instructor is is big. Can uh, Dan? Can you talk a little bit about about how the the high schoolers' experience uh, has has been disrupted and the ways that that they've maybe reached out and expressed themselves about uh, outdoor school?
2: Yeah, I mean, so I mean, especially in our region, you're right. And we're, and when you say like the, you know, there's, you know, maybe 15,000 sixth graders in this region, in the Portland Metro region who would attend outdoor school. Mm-hmm. You know, there's another 2,500 high school students yeah. that they like they didn't have that experience this, this spring or, or in the fall. And so, um, and many of them, I mean, you know, my, my son is one of them, um, you know, like was really looking forward to it yeah. you know, and the community there and was making really fast friends there and had found a place where, uh, you know, he um, is, feels really successful. Um, you know, I mean, he really enjoys working with younger kids and it's something that he discovered about himself and, mm-hmm. um, and discovered that he has a, a talent for and has some confidence around, and so not having that outlet has been really challenging. And and you know for for the other couple thousand students who are not having that opportunity, um, and so I mean you know there are a lot of high schoolers that describe you know the couple weeks a year that they get to go to outdoor school as the as the couple best weeks of the year for them. <laughs> um, you know, for, for all kinds of reasons. And we could have a complete, I mean, we could have a whole series of shows just about that experience. Yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure a lot of people that are listening right now can say, yeah, I have that experience. Yeah. You know? Um, so, but, but, you know, they, they also, I mean, like teenagers are, are incredible, um, resources of, um, hope and inspiration. And so <laughs> I mean, they, they are, you know, and, and so many of them have stepped up. I mean, like, with their own um, Instagram feeds and, and their own connection and their own p- creating content um, for younger people um, or for each other, you know, um, and so they they have joined, you know, in with those um, professional staff to to help with some of those those projects. Um, this year, uh, they're having an opportunity to connect and actually do professional development. With the outdoor school programs, so oh. they're going to be they they can register for outdoor school and be ready for if and when we can do it again. But in the meantime, um, there's going to be um, a whole series of virtual learning experiences for high school students in leadership, in um, promoting social emotional learning, in trauma informed care, in um, you know just connection and community. That's
3: amazing. Mm-hmm. Looking at the future, what kinds, what what happens to get us to uh, to that ninety five percent again? What are the what are the types of 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 uh, the obvious things aside that that the the pandemic has to be dealt with uh, uh, as a society? What are what are the kinds of things that that happen to to get kids back? residentially um uh having an outdoor school experience.
2: Well, I mean to start with there's um you know we're we're still in the process of of working with the governor's office to develop public health guidance specific to outdoor school. Something that that takes um the guidance that school districts are using. This is a okay. school school-based program. Yeah. But there's obviously some elements of outdoor school that are not necessarily like contained in that guideline in those guidelines. Yeah. Um, and so, um, so we, you know, have engaged with Oregon Department of Ed and Oregon Health Authority to to help, you know, develop outdoor school specific guidelines. Now, whether that happens, you know, after a vaccine or, you know, when we get into, I mean, there will have to be certain metrics, and you know, so there's like the the nuts and bolts of that. There's also the um, significant um, professional development that the outdoor school providers are going to be undergoing. That that helps them be equipped to respond to the global trauma that students have gone through. Yeah. Um, when students arrive, I mean, before students arrive, you know, there's some work that's going to have to be done to help them feel comfortable being in a place like that, to help Mm the staff, be to support those students, help the Mm -hmm. teachers be ready to do that, to help families feel comfortable, uh, sending their kids on a bus out to outdoor school. So, um, so there's, you know and and they're up to the task and all of that all of that foundation is being laid now you know all of that planning is being made now to prepare everybody to be able to move into that next space mm-hmm. um you know but but the the school districts are you know they're continuing to apply for that funding um anticipating that they're you know going to participate in outdoor school when we are able to do that you know p- the the school districts aren't giving you know they're not like well, I guess that was fun for a few years, but we're not gonna do that again. <laughs> yeah, you know they're, you know, they're, they're committed to continuing. Ready, you know. The other thing that I would mention related to that is um, is that um, Kim mentioned the the camps, the sites that are that are utilized. You know, mm-hmm. many of them are skeleton crew. I mean, I you know, I get out of Officer replies with people saying I'm working a half day a week now. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, so. Um, So tending to that infrastructure and making sure that they're like staying viable is really important. Now, one of the benefits of um, not having anybody at your camp is you can do a lot of work that you've been needing to get done. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Camps are are engaging in that, right? I mean, they're gathering their communities together and doing that. Other camps are doing that and also serving their community. I mean, they're, they're serving their community. They're providing a place for people to stay if they need to, um, in Mm -hmm. response to the wildfire, they're providing meals to people who had to evacuate from wildfires. They're, you know, they're like, they're strong members of their communities and they're stepping up in ways that are, that are really powerful. Um, so we want to make sure we're continuing to support that, um, by ensuring that they're getting what they need so that they can remain viable.
3: Well, and that's that's impressive. Uh, uh, you know, anecdotally, I know that there are, are camps that 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 really have shifted to uh, aiding their communities. Um, uh, as we kind of uh, wrap things up here, Kim, can can you see, um, you know what's what's the bright side to this? how How has this pause in programming, uh, created and we've heard we've heard some of it um, from Dan about some of the um, um, enhancement opportunities that that uh, programs and some of the high school students might might have. What are some of the things that that going forward this pause will have created to make the outdoor school programs uh, better or stronger?
4: Outdoor school in Oregon has been around since 1957, and we huh. have never had a pause <laughs> until now. And so um, this is giving the opportunity for um, outdoor school programs to review their curriculum, to really take a strong look at their their curriculum, and not just their curriculum, but also their activities from an equity lens. Um, we've gotten a lot of support from Oregon State University Extension Um, for doing that and they have tools and staff who have expertise and so that has been an amazing, amazing opportunity to help kids from all different walks of life and all different experiences. Um, And the sites we're hoping um, are also going to be able to do some work around equity also. We're waiting for um, some more information from Extension that there may potentially be some grants for the programs and sites this fall to potentially be able to um, do some of this work and be able to pay their staff to do it. We don't want to forget that kids when, you know, ultimately this is all about kids and kids are, are being stuck indoors mm-hmm. and we need outdoor school more than ever. Yeah, um, yeah, And, and <laughs> here, and, here. And, we are not hearing anybody disagree with that. And so I think there's gonna be, when kids finally can go to school and they finally can go to outdoor school, I think there's gonna be pent up energy to send their kids to outdoor school. And, um, and that's, a, that's very exciting.
3: Great. Th- well, thank you both. Where, where can people go to learn more about Friends of Outdoor School and about the, the Oregon Outdoor School program?
4: you uh find us on friendsofoutdoorschool.org and um you can also email me at kim at and i'm happy to answer any questions for anyone and introduce them to whoever they need to know
3: all right great thank you so much for your time today both of you,
4: thank, thank, you Andy. thank you for the opportunity
0: thanks to kim and dan for joining the local thanks to emily gilliland for leading the local thank you for listening to the local your hometown in about 30 minutes Thanks for subscribing, giving a five-star review. Thank you for being with us this election season. Thank thank you, you, democracy.
1: democracy. Talk to you tomorrow.
0: X-Ray.